Season 2 of the Olympic Mindset Podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. To fly fighter aircraft is inherently dangerous. You have to be 100% committed, 100% focused and 100% prepared. It has gone wrong and unfortunately it did go wrong for a few people that I, I, I knew. Whether it's like air to air, whether it's dogfighting, you keep slugging until you win. You, you know, one of you doesn't get to go in, so just make sure it's not you. Hello, and welcome to the Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Olympic Mindset Podcast. This week's guest is Dan Lowes, a former RAF pilot, Top Gun graduate and a member of the world-famous Red Arrows. For Dan, teamwork, communication and perseverance were quite literally a matter of life or death. Dan very kindly shares his lessons in performing under pressure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. So, Dan Lowes, how are you? I'm very good, mate. How are you? It's lovely to be here. Good. Great to finally meet up with you. Um, right, so you've been very busy. Talk to me about Top Gun Talks. I have been busy. Yeah, Top Gun Talks. It's a bit of a, a passion project that I'm working on at the moment. It's a new podcast about to launch. Uh, and it's a bit of play on where I come from, what I'm about. But essentially, it's going after the top guns of every industry all around the world. And what I want to do is I want to speak to the people who... I've got to the top, you know, one percent in their industry or in their in their dreams and their goals and their ambitions, uh, and I want to dig into how they made it there, what it is they do to keep themselves there, and basically just advice and and just those hacks in life or those uh, bits of advice in life really that others can can use to to get more from their day, from their week, from their month, from whatever it is they set out to do. So. Them. And yeah, it's called Top Gun Talks, bit of a bit of a cheesy play on having been fighter pilot myself. Love it. Absolutely love it, Dan. Obviously, very fortunate to have met you and spoke to you at the very start of this idea. And it's amazing to see that you've actually gone ahead with it. And it's probably testament to you as a person and probably a very nice example of why you're on my podcast, which is the Olympic Mindset Podcast. And we're exploring what it takes to actually make things happen to actually bring your dreams to life and push forward and get to the place where you want to be. And the fact that you had this great idea. And next time we speak, you've got this amazing lineup of people. You've got everything going. Really, really pleased for you, mate. Really delighted that you've done so much in such a short space of time and uh, couldn't happen oh, to a better mate, guy. Mate, I owe you a big, a big thank you for that because I, I am guilty of uh, what I call you know, perfection paralysis. So I, I've sat on that idea probably for 18 months, two years, I've met people who said they love the idea. I've met people who said, yeah, oh, come on that. And I'd love to talk on that. I'd love to hear that, you know, and I've been in the pub having a beer, telling people about what I want to do or, you know, plans that I've got for the future when people ask what I'm up to. And every time I brought it up, it's always had a positive, positive, um, you know, mention back from someone or positive vibe from people saying, look, it's a great idea. I'd love to listen to it. And then you go, okay, great. So you go and plan. And I'm just someone sometimes that 
it all needs to be perfect before I pull the trigger. And, you know, that can got kicked down the road because I was, you know, I found another excuse as, you know, the spreadsheet of guests wasn't properly set up yet, or, you know, I haven't got the perfect email invited people on yet, or, you know, I don't, I don't really know about the questions, all this kind of stuff, um, which actually at the end of the day is, is just stuff that stops you from progressing. Just take the shot, you know, just get it out there and speaking to you and your positivity and, and you saying, Hey mate, why don't you look at this, look at this. I thought, actually, yeah, you're right. You know, let's just get something out there. You know, the longer I sit here thinking about how good it can be, it's another week, another two, three, four weeks. I mean, we've all seen it in so many different things in life that two, three months, a year down the line. I mean, how many DIY jobs in people's houses are probably a year down the line, which is probably just a weekend job. Do you know what I mean? But we haven't got the right tool or we haven't got the perfect amount of time to get it done. And I am that person. I, I admit to that. And so, um, yeah, I want to thank you for for kicking my ass and, and, and realizing that it hasn't got to be perfect. It's just got to be good to go. You're welcome, mate. Anytime. And uh, you've given me far too much credit there, by the way. But thank no, you. Well, anyway. you don't I'll, realize I'll you don't it. realize how powerful that conversation was. That, um, as we all know, once we start, you just get on that wagon and 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 it starts rolling. It's it's so much easier. I'm actually quite surprised to hear that, by the way, Dan. Because when we start to reel off the list of things you've achieved in your life, which we'll get onto, it's pretty impressive. So, talk to me a bit about this paralysis. Then, where does that come from? I think it's um, it's when I get into a new project and when I get into the unknown. If I'm if I'm in my happy place, I'm doing what I do and, and I'm comfortable, you know, I'll, I'll react positively all day. You know, I, my background is military flying and, and now civilian flying. So, you know, I'm comfortable flying airplanes. So if you need me to get up at four in the morning, get to work, check the weathers and all the preparation that goes with flying an airplane, as you can imagine, it's quite a complex process. Yeah, I love it. I'm up, I'm done. Let's go. You know, I don't put that stuff off. But when I get into a new project and I sit down and I plan it, I, that's where I get. That's where I get guilty. That's where the paralysis, you know, slash procrastination street, you know, starts to creep into into everything I'm doing. And that's when you think, well, what what I'll do is this, and then you go for a run, and you kind of the spider diagram of what you're thinking about goes. Well, oh well, if that's what you're thinking, you could do this. That'd be really cool, right? So you need to speak to this person about that. So you send them a message. You don't hear back. So you sit there waiting for a message back. So you send them in, instead of going, right, cut that idea, go back to the original one, right? Let's go down. And I find myself going down this, you know, as I keep saying, all these different rabbit warrens of, oh, who could help me? You know, what if it was like this? This would be awesome. Oh, imagine if it, no. And guess what? When you start something new, it's probably going to be a bit rubbish, you know, on the grand scheme of things. It's great. You're out there doing stuff and we do it to our best of ability. But when you start something, the chances are it's not going to, well, it's, I hope it is for other people, but for me, it's definitely not world class day one. So um, I get I, I take a little while to warm up, and so maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe when I don't take something naturally, I need to work at it. I think I sit down and overplan, and then when I realise I can't action the perfect plan straight away, maybe I'm guilty then of letting that um, get up and go attitude drift ever so slightly. I find this really interesting. Were you quite a high achiever as a kid? Um, was I a high achiever? No, probably not. I was good at sports. Um, I was, yeah, I was good at school, but you know, I wasn't a high flyer. No, I was probably middle of the road to be honest. So does your apprehension come from school? Do you think? I am definitely the kid who did their homework. I always got my homework and had the intention of, right, I'll go home and do this, you know, bit by bit over the next few nights. I'm, I'm, I'm the kid that didn't and do it all on the last night in a bit of a panic. And again, maybe that's the whole, I've got this idea of how you should perfectly do something. And then when it doesn't happen, you know, it's day two. Well, I was supposed to do a bit yesterday. You kind of pause. I don't. I don't know. It's 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 
a very frustrating thing. And sometimes, it, well, not sometimes, every time, it's just down to you. It's the, it's it's for us, isn't it? It's our own responsibility to pick ourselves up, get the job done, uh, and move on. And as I say, it's that it's not going to be perfect. So just just take the shot and work out after. I think it was um, Richard Branson who's got that awesome and very famous quote of take every opportunity that's given to you and work out how to do it after. So you sent me an article on Vivid Vision. Do you want to talk to me a little about that? I was very lucky um, to have met a chap called uh, Brendan McGurgan. Uh, was, he very kindly did some you know, kind of life coaching stuff for me when he met me. Um, as I say, he was very kind. He had some free time and he was he was writing this book and and he was using some of the principles and processes in his book and he was using them to help me unlock more potential. Uh, and he showed me a thing called a Vivid Vision, who the owner or the creator of the Vivid Vision is a guy called Cameron Herald. He's a Canadian chap. And basically the Vivid Vision sets out a, where do you want to be in 10 months? Where do you want to be in two years? Where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 and watch your moonshot? And you kind of just have those gates um, and you sit down and you work back, really. And you say, right, the moonshot is, I don't know, starting out in a boxing career, I'm going to be heavyweight champion of the world. That's your moonshot, right? And then you work back from there. It's like, right, well, so that means in five years' time, this is what I want to be. So let's dig into that. So in five years' time, down to you wake up in the morning, what's your house look like? What's your, you know, what kind of food do you eat for breakfast? You know, you can even be like, who are my neighbors? You know, what kind of area do I walk in? You know, what, what do I have green area around me? Am I in a city? Do I, you know, all these things that you want, just write them down, just write them down. And it's not about making up a fictional story here. It's about what do you want to be? Where do you want to be? And and you just are unashamedly true to yourself. And you write this down in, you know, one, two pages of A4. Uh, and if you want to, you attach pictures, that kind of vision board thing. We've all heard of vision board, right? And, um, um, you know, putting that all together so that we wake up and we create these very, well, vivid vision, as he calls it, about where we want to be. And we wake up every morning and we read it. And then we say, right, cool. This is where I want to go. This is where I'm going to be. And it is incredibly powerful. Sometimes you think, oh, you know, after about six months, maybe you kind of give up on it for a couple of weeks and you go back to it. And I've loved it because there have things that have happened in my life. And at the time, confusing, turbulent, or, you know, really good and rewarding. And I've looked back over the last two years and pretty much, pretty much bar the, the moonshot, Aston Martin and the beautiful house in <laughs> on the coast somewhere. Um, apart from that, it is insane how much your life has been in sync with what you want when you write it down. And the power of visualization and the power of making decisions based off realizing what you really want to do rather than kind of bumbling through. And that was a huge thing for me. So yeah, Cameron, Her- Cameron Herald, Vivid Vision, if, it's, if that kind of stuff works for you or... If you're up for giving it a go, just give them a little Google, download the Vivid Vision and, and get get writing. Um, and I, I, I'm an advocate of it because I, I've only learned about this in the last two years. However, my story that links to this before I even knew what a Vivid Vision was, was telling my parents age four, five, that I wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force. I wanted to be a Red Arrows pilot. And, you know, that was four, yeah, I was about five, six years old, sorry. So... I ended up joining the Air Force at 19. I was a fighter pilot at 23, 24. I was in the Red Arrows at 31. So, you know, it does, it's not a short journey, but it's about having, it's about finding out really what it is you want to do, 
and creating that image and living that image. Like, don't be ashamed to daydream about it. Don't be ashamed to talk about it. Don't be ashamed to dream about it. But what you must, must do is definitely, definitely, definitely keep thinking about it on your runs, you know, on your long drives. Just keep bringing it into your psyche every day. And the more you do it, the more powerful it becomes. And your decisions become a lot clearer. And guess what? Five years down the line, you're pretty much, pretty much in parallel with what you wrote five years ago, which is just bonkers. Aston Martin soon there, mate. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go back to your your childhood. I'm interested in this, as you know, mate, two kids, one on the way. And, uh, you know, if you want to nominate any names, let us know. We still haven't got a name for him yet. So chuck a few in the hat, knock on him, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) That was my, you, you beat me to it. (laughs) um so talk to me about your childhood you know supportive parents pushy parents competitive parents what kind of instilled this sense of ambition in you from such a young age yeah super supportive super supportive and um yeah they'd they'd kind of both grown up uh in quite similar families my mum's from liverpool my dad's from preston um you know just working class families really and they both joined the military themselves that's where they met they both met in the Royal Air Force in the 70s Uh, and they left late 70s early 80s on a bit of an adventure and I mean we're sat here now 2022 and we're on an online studio we've got microphones we've got whatsapp we've got email we've got everything going for us whereas you know in the late 70s early 80s that stuff wasn't around so they picked themselves up in their early 30s, really, uh, and took themselves out to the Middle East, then eventually settled in Hong Kong. My dad became an airline pilot. Uh, and they had, I was born in Hong Kong. So that's where I grew up. So lived in like an expat lifestyle. So what does that mean? That means, you know, it's quite, quite a fun place to be. You know, it's Hong Kong's quite a warm place anyway. So, you know, doors are always open. Neighbors kind of freely come around walking in and out. You're just playing in the street with other kids. You know, it's just a really good, good way to be brought up. But, I grew up in a community where most dads were pilots because most of the expats out there were there because their their families had moved to Hong Kong so their you know their dads could be pilots for this airline. And so I kind of grew up there. I kind of lived in that aviation community already. You know, right next to there was a very famous airport in Hong Kong called Kai Tak where the airplanes used to kind of bend through the buildings. I don't know if you've seen that approach. And that was where my school was. So, you know, even at school and, you know, the power of, impressions on young kids as a teacher yourself you know i was in the playground and these huge airliners were just turning almost around our school to land on the runway you know and i watched it all the time and you know then i'd go home my dad was just come back from a long trip he's in his uniform or you know getting ready for you know, be in the house and he'd he'd go to bed so be, even on a saturday if he was flying at night you know there was silence in the house all day because you know you could not you could not wake him up and you can remember if you were a bit loud and you heard the foot creaks you know in the bedroom oh no I'm done I'm I'm off um but yeah so that kind of already instilled this you know I guess this kind of sense of I don't know magic about it there's something beautiful about aviation and you know there's you go to the airport and there's all these huge airplanes taxing around and you just think they could be going anywhere in the world anywhere in the world and there's just two guys up the front 300 people down the back and everyone, you know, all the bags are on board, all the fuels on board, all the foods on board. And it sounds really petty, but when you think about how insane that is, it's quite magical. And so, yeah, it kind of was just instilled from an early age. And, but you know, my mum's a nurse and she's like, well, what about being a doctor? Wouldn't you want to be a surgeon? Wouldn't you want to save lives and all this kind of stuff? So albeit she's, she's been super supportive the whole way through she was the one every now and then was like, oh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? So every now and then they kind of gave me a little bit of a, 
is he serious check, I guess. But when they realized, probably in my third, probably about 12 or 13, that's where I was going to go. Yeah, we they moved back to the UK then, which gave me a really good opportunity to be eligible for the Air Force. So, I mean, that's probably the biggest move they could have could ever have done. I love that story. I love that idea that your parents, not only they supported, they literally moved continents for you to achieve your dream at the age of 13, 14. They must have known you were pretty serious about that dream then. I mean, were you always the kind of kid that followed through on your promises or did you struggle with procrastination then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it obviously, they, they must have realised that I wasn't messing about because you know my, my dad turned down a promotion pretty much. My mum said goodbye to all their friends. But they knew that if I was if I was going to have a, a, a shot, I, I had to live in the UK for a certain amount of time. So you became a fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. And I loved every second. To be honest with you, Dan, you seem like the nicest guy. You know, we've met a few times now. You seem really down to earth, really lovely. But there must be something in you that makes you want to put your life at risk every day and, and potentially have to take others' lives as well. There must be something there that drives you to have that kind of ability to put yourself at, at risk, I suppose. So yeah. talk, talk me through the mindset of a fighter pilot. How did you get to that place? You know, it's it's sometimes quite extravagant to say, oh, you know, you you put your life on the line. And yes, we did. And it is, to fly fighter aircraft is inherently dangerous and it does go wrong. It has gone wrong. And unfortunately it did go wrong for a few people that I, I, I knew, uh, which means unfortunately you don't come home. But you know that, that can also happen on a sports pitch. So that kind of mindset you know, you probably start to get this same kind of stuff now through the other episodes that you're doing with these amazing Olympians and these amazing leaders in their field is the mindset's the same. It's like, I am hundred percent focused. I'm a hundred percent committed and this is going to happen on the flip side or why you strap yourself to a, a fighter aircraft to go out and do the job is because you honestly believe that you're going to be okay. Because if every time you stepped on a football field, you thought you might break your ankle or get knocked out playing rugby, let's say, you'd never step on that field. Or if you did, you wouldn't be fully committed and therefore you wouldn't perform properly and you probably wouldn't have had the career you had. And it's the same thing. I promise you, even though it is incredibly dangerous and we did some dangerous stuff and there were a couple of close calls, I never once strapped into an airplane thinking I might not come home from this. And, you know, to succeed in anything you do, you have to be 100% committed, 100% focused and 100% prepared and ready to go. At Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they have to say on the topics that matter. From the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. I love that you don't have, from speaking to you, don't have this fear of failure. Um, and I wondered, were, were there any times that things did go wrong? And, you know, what did that look like? And, and how did you get over that? Yeah, fear of failure is one of the things I talk about a lot because uh, flying fighters in the RAF comes after about four and a half to five year training cycle. So it's, you know, it's a degree plus some really. And you know, every time you get into an aircraft, you're assessed. It's like um, 
going to university, but every lecture is assessed. You know, not not your written work, not your not your projects, how you are in the lecture. You're assessed all the time for about four and a half years. So it can go wrong very quickly. And it's quite competitive. So people try and look very good all the time, which is absolutely the right way to be uh, because they're putting the effort in. However, what that meant was some people didn't fail to write at the end. So some people would go through about three and a half, four years of training and they wouldn't, and clearly it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. But people wouldn't, you know, um, see their first failure until four and a half years down the line, which meant then they started to panic because they hadn't seen this before. Luckily for me, I'd managed to get something wrong the whole way through. So I'd managed to fail at every stage, which meant when it got really hard, that fear of failure wasn't there. Clearly, there's that element of you don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to throw away four and a half years of of hard work and grit. But on the flip side, you think, well, if I'm prepared, if I well, if I feel I've prepared myself as well as I could, if I feel, feel that you know I'm here, I'm in... I'm in the mix. I know exactly what I'm doing. If it comes down to the day that I simply cannot do this, I can't control that now. If it's outside my control, it's outside my control. So you're a Top Gun trainer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's we've got a thing in the Royal Air Force. It's called the Qualified Weapons Instructor Course. Top Gun sounds better. It does. It sounds much better. It's the same thing, but it's um, it's essentially two or four pilots from the entire force. So. A force is a collection of squadrons. A squadron is a collection of pilots and jets and engineers. Two or four get selected a year to go to a central school, really, where you get given a, a huge budget of, you know, fuel, weapons, tactics, airspace. So what kind of stuff do they teach you there? They, they teach you everything. They're everything the jet can do, everything that aircraft can do, whether it's like air-to-air, whether it's dogfighting, whether it's low-level where it's uh, briefing, when it's training, when it's instructing, when it's debriefing. Uh, they get you, first off, they work on you. They get you to the best level. You It's basically like going on a conditioning camp. You know, you go there and they just break down every discipline that you can do with that airplane and they practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it to the best you've ever been at. Let's let's push you even further. Let's, let's start now working on your mindset. Let's Let's get you tired. Let's overload you. Let's work on your capacity. Let's let's see you as a leader. Let's see you as a follower. How are you going to pick these things up? Okay, you think you've got a perfect plan? We're going to throw this in last minute just when you think everything's sorted. Or we're going to take information away from you. Or we're going to degrade your kit so your airplane's not operating, albeit the engines and everything. Well, they're going to start taking away the stuff that you need in the office, really, in the cockpit to start doing your job properly, making it really, really difficult. Was there ever a moment whilst you were a fighter pilot or whilst you were training that you genuinely feel feared for your safety or for your life I, I yeah probably one or two probably one or two and i'm talking in 17 years or 16 and a half years but yeah i one or two you know sometimes where maybe we got a bit too close to another jet coming the other way and you kind of brace up for impact and you just miss each other by the grace of god or um i've had um flying quite fast and low you know birds can be a hazard i've had a bird hit the wing and rip a massive hole in the wing luckily it didn't take out any of the um the fuel lines that it then bounced around because that would have been that would have been a bad day out um and so there's moments like that you know all getting really close on fuel or really poor weather and you're trying to land and you can't see the runway yet so i mean there's always things in that environment but it's just in that moment you're like oh one minute this could go badly and then it's gone and then then it's down to compartmentalization it's like right that's happened 
but we need to drop it. If if I sit here all day worrying about what's just happened, I, I'm not going to continue to perform. So I need to somehow work out how to put that in a little box, put it in the back of my mind. Right, the next thing I'm going to do is going to be the best, you know, it's going to be the best I've ever done it on it. I, I imagine, genuinely imagine putting it into like plastic containers, you know, like Tupperware boxes, like that error in Tupperware box, leave it on the side and we'll finish and we'll come back. We'll open up the Tupperware box and then we'll go in and we'll have a look what's in it and then we'll work out why it's in there. I'm glad you said you went back and reviewed the Tupperware boxes. I was starting to think you've got all these <laughs> moldy <laughs> in your closet. I oh, mate, you're yeah. going to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. You need to address those. <laughs> Microwave safe or whatever they're called. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad you did go back and review them in the fridge behind you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, the Red Arrows then, talk me through that. I mean, obviously you go from fighter pilot, that was your ultimate goal. How did Red Arrows come about? Was that something you had always wanted to do? And yeah, then- well, the Red Arrows was the ultimate goal. Okay. Yeah, and and to become a Red Arrow, yeah, again, back to the vivid vision, back to the visualization, back to the working out a plan over so many years. You know, to be to get into the Red Arrows takes a number of years. And there's a minimum amount of flight time, which probably takes between seven and ten years. For a fighter pilot to achieve, you have to, you can only be a fighter pilot to be eligible for it. You have to be assessed, you know, at a certain level uh, in your profession, uh, which is above average, but that doesn't mean anything to anyone. That was just a, a, a scaling system we had in the Air Force about how your performance was seen. And you had to have been on an operational squadron. So they're the kind of thing, you had to be of a certain rank. There's all these little things that fit into it, but the main one is the flying time. So you think, well, I can't get anywhere near that. I can't even put my name on paper to apply until I've got those hours. So let's just write it off. And oh, by the way, you have to be a fighter pilot, so write it off. So if you don't become a fighter pilot, that can never happen. So that's goal number one. And then if you don't have 1,500 hours flying them, you can't be a red arrow. So that's goal number two, become a fighter pilot, fly for 1,500 hours. Now, there was other goals and aims and ambitions. You know, I didn't turn up every day as a robot just to get that through, but I knew that I had to get through those hoops first for it even to be an option. As school leaders, it sometimes feels that there aren't enough hours in a day to stop, reflect and record on our progress and the steps we need to take to move even further. Meetings, performance management, curriculum reviews and time with pupils and parents all take their time in our collective diaries. We know that when schools get busy, we can forget the big picture. So that's why Too Simple is keen to offer you a trial period of two of their headline products. Improvement Hub and Inspection Coach blend seamlessly, dramatically reducing the time and effort involved in self-evaluation and improvement planning, taking the pressure off you and your team to do the things that you want to do. And as school reviews come and go, Inspection Coach is your virtual inspector, guiding you through the entire inspection process, from making judgments to success criteria and attaching evidence. Furthermore, it does a lot of thinking for you and offers suggestions and areas of improvement, directed and written by our very own inspection team. Book your demo today at twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too simple to get involved. And I remember just being there and all of a sudden there was these guys who I just used to get you know, go to the pub with really, or, you know, how I knew through kind of social environments or being on a squadron with all of a sudden, they were these machines that got up, they went to Met Brief, they said things in a certain order, they went to the jet, they flew these jets, 
in you know insanely close and did these displays that looked immaculate to my eye they come down they rip themselves apart why it wasn't good enough they go up and do it again and they do that three times a day every day five days a week and i sat there going but you know that's steve you know and that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like what's happened uh, and then you realize that they they just up their game you know these guys are in an, they're they're in another atmosphere in terms of performance now they're in a a place that is dedicated for one thing and one thing only, and that is to produce a world-class display every single time they get in those jets. And, you know, a mindset and a lifestyle comes with that. And so I got there and I, I just, I kind of almost froze. I think I was rabbit in the headlights. And I, I, I do remember because eventually I got in when people would try out, I realized that, ah, oh, I was you. And I gave, I gave those people a lot of time because I was like, I was exactly you. It's, we all know this, the person who's a bit nervous who just talks in questions. I don't know if you had this when you go home and you see your mum on the weekend sometimes and she'll just ask you questions. But we, you know, sometimes if you're just tired, you're not communicating very well. They ask you another question. About five questions in, you realise that actually you're just not speaking. You're giving one word answers. So your mum's not getting any conversation out of you. So she, and I was like that. I was just asking questions. And I must have just driven them mental asking questions. And I also don't think, yeah, I, there would have been something in there probably with the flying test and just some nerves coming. You know, this is your dream, man. It's like you sat in a Red Arrows jet and you're trying out to get in the team. Like this is your shot. You know, there's only nine people in the country that do this. You know, there's no backup pilots. It's those guys. And also, you know, that's that's everything that you've wanted right there. And so, yeah, the, the, my first guy, I just kind of, I just froze. Wasn't myself. Probably didn't represent myself well. Is probably the best way to put it in terms of, you know, the the, the overall package. And so I didn't get in. Uh, and that's another thing, you know, fear of failure, failed. What's cooler, being one of the Red Arrows or being a fighter oh, pilot? It's hard. There are times where, I mean, they, they, I can't say one or the other, really. There are times when, you know, you're doing... Give me pros and cons, Dan. Pros and cons, pros and cons. Talk me through it. I mean, here's the thing, right? You know, if we, if you, if you're going through the like kind of look at me showing off type thing, yeah, the red arrows is cool because you get to meet loads of people. But I don't mean that in a shelfy way. What I mean is, you get to change people's lives. You get to meet people who have seen your show, and they're inspired to go off and be excellent in everything they do. Yeah, you get to meet people on the ground and they make a bit of a fuss, which is great. But you know, they've lost a grandparent in the last couple months, and seeing you reminded them of that person because they used to always take them as kids to come and watch you on the beach. They, you, you, people from all walks of life, all backgrounds can turn up to a beach anywhere in the UK, probably in the summer for free, grab an ice cream and watch 25 minutes of a world-class display, no matter where you are in the world. So that's cool. You change people's lives, but you also get to fly incredibly close to other airplanes. You do a very professional job and you get to fly in some more extreme attitude speeds lower heights than you would normally do in a fighter jet and it's a lot closer it's a lot punchier um that's the pros cons are <laughs> not many cons no no the con no the, there are there are cons i mean cons are people probably don't realize this it's a massive commitment um again I, i'm not going to put this down as a con because if you have a dream and you commit to it then that's positive right because you're living it but Cons are, and this is sometimes why some really good pilots don't join the Reds or apply for the Reds, is you will train from October, November through to May. Training consists of three trips a day, every day, five days a week. So it's you know quite high tempo, a lot of debriefing, a lot of sometimes you know, it's like walking through custard trying to get something 
to be perfect. It takes a long, long time and a big commitment. Uh, and then from the, about the 25th, 24th, 25th of May until October, you display every weekend, which is great because you're out there, but that's it. So if you've got family, you've got friends, you could got commitments in the summer. If it's on a weekend, you don't see weekends. Have you had to impact on your circle, you know, because your career, dedication to your career, have you ever had to kind of lose relationships, break relationships, cut people off and, and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Um, sometimes it just happens naturally um, when you don't even see it happening, you know, just because you think everything's going all right, but actually you don't realize how much how much you're actually invested in what you're trying to do. And part and parcel of joining the Air Force is you work hard, you give them a lot of time and you go away a lot, but they understand that and they've done it for a long time. So they understand how to look after you. And there's so many good support networks with all around the military looking after you. In education, there's a a huge drive on bullying at the moment. I know there was something similar with Red Arrows or the military, or am I making that up? Yeah. So did you ever feel bullied? And and then if you did, what did they do to support you? And if you didn't, what yeah, yeah, do you okay. think they're going to do in, in future to be better? So, yeah, no, I personally didn't feel bullied. Um, I personally didn't witness it really in in any walks of life. There's stuff when it gets... The thing is, it's quite hard, especially when you're trying to get a point across. Um, and this is where attitudes come in, you know, and this is why we were very lucky. You, know, you say if you're open-minded, you're willing to learn, then when something goes wrong and you're open about it, people come and say, no, that was wrong. I've, I found maybe sometimes the the crunch moments and sometimes where you know as you say this kind of feeling of bullying comes in is when maybe some people aren't willing to open themselves up about some of their failures and so maybe some people are then a bit too too strong with coming back with no you're you're wrong and you get the kind of breakdown so we saw we did see that a lot because we you know that there are egos flying around. You don't do that job if you're egoless. I think most guys are pretty down to earth and you're not allowed to really throw your weight around. However, you know, if you want someone to strap themselves to these machines and go out and do that job, you've got to get, you've got to allow them some type of ego. And with that, they need to believe in themselves. And so when someone who really believes in themselves, you've built up to go and back themselves in any situation, start saying that, you know, no, I am right. And you say, well, no, you're wrong. That can, that can lead to, to um you know to, to a bit of a mix-up and especially if you know you leave that scenario thinking oh he's got it in for me or you know that person's got the wrong attitude and the, and what you end up getting in the spiral of the, you know someone thinking someone's got it in for them and someone thinking they've got a wrong attitude so they keep looking for the errors in them to prove that this person got it wrong and at that point it gets wrong and at that point you think right stop you know if we're in an instructional environment can we get this person another instructor you know can we maybe find another way to explain to this person that actually you know, their performance isn't correct or yeah let's listen to this person maybe yeah, as you say this this you know being bullied is a it, you know it's, it's not acceptable it's never been acceptable in any environment I've ever worked in but if you genuinely feel bullied all right stop what's going on go back to the instructor and say hey look this even if you don't mean it this is how it's coming across and if it by the way if it is bullying i mean there's disciplinary action in the military you just can't do it you know this hollywood thing you know films of people being screamed at and shouted at and do that there's a little bit of that at the early stages because you need to be militarized but that can't work in a day-to-day environment you know by friday you'd be like no i can't be asked for this i'm going home (laughs) do you know what i mean but you have to have stern people because you know the job the job is is a difficult one and you've got to be gritty you've got to go and do the go and do it but no no i think i think as i say there's there's two sides to this The, the person has to be open minded to an event that's got wrong 
and the other person needs to probably be open-minded to the fact that maybe they're they're forcing a point that could be dropped that's the only times i've ever seen it where people maybe have thought oh, i'm being you know being picked on here and being bullied but certainly for me i was very lucky i, I never experienced any of that i find it fascinating because obviously you, you touched on this, you know, you're being trained to have a certain mindset, right? You're literally, as you put it, strapping yourself to a jet and going up into the sky and protecting our country, dogfighting, whatever it might be. You've worked your whole career to develop that mindset. It's not really conducive with being a civilian, right? So how did you find the transition from being a fighter jet pilot with that mindset of fight, 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 conflict to now you're out in the main world? Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And there are moments where you are purely there to fight the airplane. You know, it's in the word fighter pilot. You have been trained to fly an airplane so that your airplane becomes a weapon system. It's not, you know, flying from A to B. It's not dropping troops off. It's not dropping cargo off. It's not um, lifting things from, you know, one side of the battlefield to the other. This is going up there where you're trained like a boxer to step in the ring and go for it. And you keep slugging until you win. You do not, you do, you know, it's you coming home or they go home. You know, one of you doesn't get to go home, so just make sure it's not you. And there are moments, you know, it sounds really, you know, just go out there and and be as violent as you can. Well, actually, it's not really like that because in the air, there's process in terms of, you know, that everything's moving very quickly. Everything's happening at long distances, but it's closing really rapidly. You know, they're just as trained as you. You're going to be able to, uh, if you get something wrong, they're on you. So it's about, you know, slow, smooth, smooth is fast, albeit you're moving at a great rate. So it's about being able to process your environment, process the information, taking the time to make the right call in a timely fashion, but not rushing it, finding out, you know, doping out the situational awareness, making sure you're in the right place at the right time and making sure you make the right decision. So that's where it becomes quite difficult. So this 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 mindset of, you know, fighting and, and being all comes back, yeah, fair enough, that's in there. But actually the mindset is, being able to coolly and calmly deal with a lot of ambiguous information happening in a very dynamic environment and at you know and, and in a rapidly changing environment as well, I should probably say. And and so things are coming in, people are talking to you, you're visually assessing information. And so those things actually are very transferable. This episode of the Olympic Mindset is sponsored by Hugh makers of colourful, affordable visualisers and animation kits, perfect for creative teaching, homeschooling and remote working. Described by many teachers as a complete game changer, Hue's high quality USB document cameras have won awards worldwide and they are also STEM.org authenticated. Hue cameras make it quick and easy to share work, record lessons or save time and money by not having to photocopy. The manual focus and flexible neck means that you can show even the smallest objects and nobody misses out because they can't see. Follow at Hue Cameras on social media for news, fun and giveaways. And for a limited time offer of 10% discount, please enter the code OLYMPIC10 at the HueHD.com shop. Well, you're a public speaker now. Talk to us a little about that and, and how easy was that transition? Did you find it difficult? Um, I did at first. Yeah. Again, it's that imposter syndrome. You know, I've, I've for 16 years, as I say, 16 bit years, I've been a military officer. I've been a leader. I've been a fighter pilot. That's what I did. You know, that was who I, I was. And actually I was probably that even before I became it, because it was just what I, I lived and breathed and talked about before I even joined as I mentioned. So yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I was a bit of a, a, a one trick pony. Um, however, being in the Reds, we were exposed to a bit of public speaking, presenting, meeting people in public. 
and pushed out of our comfort zones a bit more. So I was used to meeting a lot of people and and I understood that a lot of people had a lot of interest in what we did. They learned a lot from it. A lot of people's eyes were opened up about what it was we were. And the big thing with the Red Arrows displays for those 22 to 25 minutes that you display is clearly if people see and go, oh, wow, the, the Air Force looks great. Let's join them. You know, bigger if the military looks great, let's join them. Even, you know, even better. But, you know, it's, that's that's one part of it. But the other part is it's displaying teamwork. It's displaying loyalty. It's displaying communication, dedication, you know, being at the right place at the right time, being accountable to your other teammates that you're not going to let anyone down. They're the kind of messages we're sending out on that 25-minute display. And in the UK, we, we do that so that people can watch us, be inspired, well, f- first, entertained, and just for 25 minutes, enjoy it, and hopefully be very proud that they're from a country that has one of the best display teams in the world. But, you know, the, the message really underlying all of this is no matter who you are, what you are, what you're already doing, what you want to go on and do, when you walk away from a red arrows display, you should be fired up to go and be the best you can be in whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Go home and be like, right, how can I be number one at that? Yeah, that's that's the message that runs through being in the team. So having met people and having kind of had that mindset towards the end of my career in the military, now that I've come out and I've transitioned to have a bit more free time, I do a lot of keynote speaking. I go and speak to businesses. I speak to teams. I speak to schools. Uh, I also do uh, online uh, seminars, uh, some workshops, uh, as well as you know some of the stuff I was mentioning before through the voice, hopefully in the podcast soon, and a little bit of written work to basically not close the chapter on what was an amazing moment in my life. Not to keep it alive for me, although that's lovely and I do enjoy that, but it's to to not shut the, the book on all those lessons that we learned for not being able to talk to people about all the failures as I mentioned before, that I have felt, that I have seen, and that I've learned from, from being able or being exposed to a high-performing team. And I use elite um, with caution because I think that can turn a lot of people off. But, you know, it is an elite team, an elite environment, but it doesn't mean because it's being used in an elite environment, it can't be used in your day-to-day life. You know, just a simple morning routine, just the way in which you talk to people, the way that you process information. That's not elite I don't know what it might be. You could have any pick any job in the UK in the world. The point is, I'm not saying you need to be a fighter pilot to learn this. I'm just saying what these aspects we use to be world class fighter pilots can be used in your day to day life and whatever it is you do. The same messaging the display was about to go on and be and get that the best you could be and get that extra percentage out of everything you do. I love that, mate. Last three questions. I know we haven't got long to go. So, first one is you've just alluded there to this kind of transferable mindset. Obviously. My podcast is named the Olympic Mindset Podcast. That's not because I believe only Olympians can achieve these dreams and these aspirational goals. Sure. It's not because I believe, as you've just said, only military personnel and Red Arrow pirates, pilots can achieve these things. So yeah. if you had to break a mindset down with all the lessons you've learned as you know, being in the military, being a fighter pilot, being a Red Arrows, um, and now being a public speaker and commercial pilot... What are the three most important characteristics you've learned in your life? When you decide what it is you want to do, be 100% committed, be 100% prepared, and throw yourself fully into everything you do. Next question. If you look back over your life, your career, was there any moment of growth? What is the most significant moment of growth? Yeah, my, mine would have been there was a couple of moments on that Top Gun school where I was just on the limit of 
being you know kicked off it really you know I'd, I'd done really well at some points and then I was really struggling in a certain area and this is something I had and this was the most frustrating thing about it I'd been really good at this elsewhere when I wasn't being put under this pressure to to perform again and you know the, the, there's that saying of a skill is not a skill until it's performed under pressure you know and and now I was performing this particular skill under intense pressure and it just I just wasn't getting the results that I was used to and again you know being told not good enough try this tried it not good enough try this and and that's the thing and eventually that that process that i mentioned before of not fearing failure accepting it but being open-minded enough to take it in and so what i probably did and in fact what i know i did in that small period of time was i started to shut myself off because i was starting to think i started to panic that you know that's me done that's the end of the road for me uh i couldn't believe it you know how could this be happening to me i was on top of my game how am i not now and then that kind of moment of going well if you keep thinking like this, you're definitely gone. You're definitely gone. If if you carry on with this mindset, there is absolutely no way you're graduating this course. And so it's then that kind of process of going, right, just relax as much as you can. We're never going to be relaxed. There's always an element of stress, but control the controllables. Am I prepared? Yes. Do I understand it? Yes. Then let's just go and do the job. And eventually taking on the learning points from all the debriefs we went through. And we debriefed, by the way, debriefed every event we ever did. You know, from then finally writing all these debrief points down in a book, reading them at home over dinner, just relaxing, coming to work and just doing what you know you're good at doing. And my performance started to to lift then and, and I went on to graduate the course. Nice. And the final one is um, if you could go back and speak to a young Dan, what would you say to him? Uh, we've got a couple of sayings in our family. One of them is fate is the hunter. And, you know, if you're in the right place at the right time, the opportunity is there, it will come to you. So be prepared, be ready, just keep believing. Uh, and the second one is take the situation seriously, not yourself. I love that. Thank you very much and uh, have a lovely evening. No, thank you. I've wanted to come on this pod for a long time. I think you're doing some awesome work with it. Your guests have been great. I've learned so much. So it's just an honour to be on it myself. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. Now, at the end of today's episode, we do have a chat with a very special guest, the owner of VSI. He's a former professional footballer. He played for Manchester City Football Club. And Tony managed to reinvent himself after his career and create this amazing organisation that allows ex-athletes and executive leaders to work together on high-level, high-caliber executive leadership courses. So we're going to have a quick chat with Tony today, hear a little about himself, a little about the organization, and if you are looking to apply the Olympic mindset and develop yourselves further, then get in touch with VSI. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my brief chat with Tony, and see you next time. Hi, Tony. How are you? Hey, Dom. I'm all good. How are you? Things your end? Yeah, very good. Thank you. And we've been talking about lots of really interesting concepts. And I wondered if you could kind of give us some advice on where we can go as athletes or aspiring leaders and what we can do to, to learn and improve ourselves. Yeah, it's an interesting time at the moment, Dom. We, as you know, we've been running executive education programs for the world of sport, not just for athlete, athletes, for people working in the industry of sport, but we do get a lot of athletes from across the whole genre of sports that join the programs and programs are part time. So they are, are meant to fit in and around an athlete's schedule. But whilst they're part time, obviously people have games, competitions, training and so on. So there are occasions when they, they can't attend the program. So 
by industry demand, this January, we are launching the Masters in Sports Directorship Programme, which we've been delivering face-to-face since 2014 now, online. Athletes and people in the industry have basically advocated the desire to want to study on such programmes, but to be able to study in a much more flexible way, which will fit in and around their schedule. So that programme launches in January. What's really interesting about the programme is it's international in its look and feel. And what I mean by that is because it's virtual, people from around the world are joining the program. So we've got representation from America, from Europe, from the UAE and from from Australasia as well. And these are athletes and people that are working in sport as performance coaches and, and sporting directors and managers. So we're really looking forward to, to delivering that in a virtual world. Great. Sounds interesting. I think, um, you know, taking it to the to the CEO course that I'm taking part in as well, that starts next week. Do you want to talk a little about that and what's going on with that course? Can't wait to get started with that, uh, Dom. It's, it's um, a programme that we describe as, as mature learning. Again, very much designed for the modern world. So, as you know, it kicks off next week. There are two facilitated days in Manchester. And then over the course of the next seven months, there are another six facilitated days. We've got some great people attending the programme, CEOs, COOs, general managers. So strategic leaders from across the industry of sport. Um, a very dynamic group working across different sectors, all with a similar drive, i.e. to be as good as they can be, to develop professionally and improve their network on a on a global scale. So, yeah, CEO programme, we're really looking forward to starting that next week. You'll have seen over the last couple of weeks, probably a couple of our delegates have moved into some great roles. So, Nicky Butt, who is a graduate, obviously a former England and Manchester United player. He's a graduate from the CEO programme and only two weeks ago has been appointed as a chief exec for Salford City FC. Um, you may have seen yesterday one of our current delegates, who is, uh, Paul Wynn Stanley, who is head of recruitment for Brighton in the Premier League, has just been appointed as head of global talent and transfers for Chelsea um yesterday so uh loads of our alumni who are already in senior positions are moving into to other strategic leadership roles which is which is great to see that's our passion that's what we want to try and um deliver for all the delegates that come through our programs amazing really looking forward to it tony and also you know from my point of view really excited to kind of build a new network in a different field as well and i think that's something that the course and yourselves offer. Brilliant, Dom. Great speaking to you as always. Uh,